We all have heroes. Who are some of your heroes and how did they impact your life? Welcome to Catching Up With Heroes, the podcast where we discuss the influence of our individual heroes on our careers and lives, an exploration of how we look up to and learn from others during the journey of life. And now here's your host, Scott Goldbranson. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our first installment of Catching Up With Heroes, a podcast where I talk with those people who have influenced me both as a man, a professional, and those people from all walks of life that I looked up to throughout my life. My name is Scott Branson, and as a communications and broadcast professional for over 25 years, like anyone, I've had people I've looked up to that have influenced my life. This podcast is my way of sharing those people, their backgrounds, and their accomplishments and the profound influence they've had on me. They are people from the world of sports, education, business, politics, you name it. But those I considered heroes of mine, the purpose is simple, to explore how people impact your life both very intimately, but also from afar. Not everyone I talk to will be someone I know personally, but yet I feel like I do, whether they're historical figures no longer living or those that still contribute. We'll explore through them via their backgrounds, philosophy, and their impact on me and so many others. For me, reaching midlife as someone who just turned 50, you get a little introspective and you realize how people changed the course of your life or helped you achieve your dreams. Or they've been a constant reminder of what can be achieved and the hard work and determination required to do so. When possible, I'll be talking with these guests one-to-one, which I'm very excited about, But when it comes to those who I really cherish or look up to that are no longer with us, people like Sir Winston Churchill, for example, we'll talk to experts and biographers who can do their best to educate and inform us on what made them tick and why they've had such a lasting impact on so many. I hope you'll find the exercise in the show entertaining and perhaps it will spark thoughts within you about those who have had such an impact on you personally. No one achieves peace, happiness, and success without role models and influences. This show explores those who have had influence on mine. We hope you enjoy it. Okay, so on with the show. Uh, And first, uh, I wanted to introduce you to a hero of mine professionally that has really had an impact on me, especially when it comes to sports and broadcasting. As a kid, I fell in love with radio at an early age, really through baseball. Many a night, I would fall asleep with that $4 transistor radio and those crappy little mono earplugs on my pillow listening to Kansas City Royals games and then later San Diego Padres games. The art and mastery of baseball play-by-play captivated me. How these men with booming voices would paint verbal pictures of the game I loved but could not see. For those of you under 40, you grew up during a time where baseball was easily accessible all of the time on cable television. But for those of us born at the tail end of the 1960s and 70s, sports on TV wasn't as bountiful. So radio and newspapers are how we kept up with your favorite team and players. Those nights and warm summer days spent listening to nine-inning dramas by men who effortlessly painted pictures of the game in my mind's eye began a love affair with radio that still lives today, not only as someone who hosts a radio show myself, but also someone who loves the medium of audio. I knew then that I wanted to do something in radio, and luckily, to a certain degree, that dream has come true a few times over. As I got older and listened to more sports, the rise of sports talk radio happened. I happened to live in one of the epicenters of that rise in San Diego, California. 
where the 77,000-watt juggernaut of the mighty 690, later 1090, covered sports up and down the West Coast. On that station was a man I'd come to admire and emulate in many ways, the sports talk legend Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. With his deep and piercing voice and drama-filled phrases, Lee was always appointment radio. From Baja to the Canadian Rockies, up and down the West Coast, he'd boom, seemingly a man who must stand 10 feet tall. He was a combination of sports authority and old-time 1940s voice actor. It was captivating, and my recognition of the craft and preparation was instant. Lee could be polarizing, but most loved him, but many didn't. But they listened anyway, and isn't that what it's all about? His unbridled energy and knowledge of sports was amazing, and I'd never miss a show. He focused on San Diego sports, yes, but he had relationships all over, and his guests were top-notch. His show preparation and production were artful and topical. He just always seemed to be on top of his game. Clearly, he'd been around the block and honed his craft to the point where little fazed him. So let's start catching up with heroes. This time, sports radio legend Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Business with personality. That's the idea that launched London's business newspaper, City AM, 15 years ago. And it's the same idea that inspired our new daily podcast, The City View, where you'll find me, City AM editor Christian May, interviewing the most well-known, influential and colourful figures from business, politics and finance. The City View from City AM, with a new episode every morning. It's the perfect start to your working day. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton has built a national reputation as one of America's top sports talk show hosts. He's been named Talk Show Host of the Year seven times by the Southern California Sports Broadcasters Association. He spent his last 26 years doing sports talk radio in San Diego and was the first talk show host hired by the legendary 77,000-watt Extra Sports 690. He was a popular longtime radio voice of the San Diego Chargers, also of the Seattle Seahawks and Compass Media Networks. In addition, he did college play-by-play football for USC, Arizona State, San Diego State, and Ohio University. His NFL play-by-play has been featured at the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the Hall of Champions in San Diego and for NFL Films. He's broadcast the Super Bowl, Rose Bowl, and the WHA All-Star Games as well. He also has done work on Sirius XM for Home Plate Baseball, as well as Fox Sports 570 in Los Angeles. Spent eight years doing hockey play-by-play and eight years doing minor league baseball. His stops have included Phoenix, Cleveland, Logan, in Ohio and Utica, New York. An accomplished writer, he also was named columnist of the year by the San Diego Press Club and has written freelance sports columns for the San Diego Union Tribune and the San Diego News Network. A true sports radio and media legend, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Welcome to Catching Up with Heroes. Scott, nice to talk to you. Glad to be part of your show and kind of talk about the history of sports talk radio. Absolutely. And I know we don't have a ton of time, right? Uh, Your career has been uh, such a great one with so many accomplishments that uh, we could we we wouldn't have time to go through all of them, Lee. But uh, as successful and innovative as your career has been, let's let's go back and start at the beginning to because I've never had that chance. I mean, I remember when I was younger and I listened to you, uh, I read some stories about how you started out. But remind us a little bit. Why did you get into this business? Why did you get into radio and later television and particularly sports radio? Well, I came from a sports and journalism background. Uh, My father was a minor league pitcher in the Philadelphia Athletics Organization. Uh, My uncle 
was a sports writer, in fact, the first president of the Baseball Writers Association of America, uh, covered the old Brooklyn Dodgers in the 1930s and 40s. So I grew up in that environment, and I grew, I grew up in the mecca of sports. I grew <laughs> up in the era of the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Giants, and the New York football Giants, and the New York Rangers, and the Knickerbockers. So I was in the in this the epicenter of sports, quote, back in the day. And that's where I gravitated to when I went to school to be a journalist. And somehow, some way, I got sidetracked from journalism. Instead of being a sports writer and a columnist, which was my aspiration, I went to the electronic side and wound up in radio. And, and then as my career started in the small market Appalachia, I did a ton of things, including play-by-play. Went to mid-market upstate New York and did sports talk and, and hockey. Wound up going to the major leagues in Cleveland doing, doing pro hockey and sports talk. And then wound up going to Phoenix and did Arizona State Sun Devil football and pioneered sports talk radio in the great Southwest and was there for seven years and and got a phone call one day out of the clear blue sky from people I did not know (laughs) to come to San Diego and to be the voice of the Chargers and to start a sports talk show on a 50,000 watt station that eventually was going to flip into all sports. So right time, right place. Uh, I was driven by information. I wanted to know everything about everything. I enjoyed talking about everything. And then as I became a talk show host, it dawned on me, how do we package this to really make this interesting? And I kind of, I started doing it in Phoenix and I expanded on it in San Diego. And I think the other thing that, that really helped my success was quote, being a pioneer. When, when I jumped into this and actually moved to San Diego, uh, we were the third station in the country to go all sports. WFAN in New York mm-hmm. had been on the air. WIP in Philadelphia had started all sports. And stupid me, <laughs> do things that had never, ever been done before, touch people's hot buttons, and make you want to come to my show every day. I was doing afternoon drive to listen to what I had to say and to listen to my guests and my hot headlines because nobody else was doing it. So we were the, we were the first. Now, multiple years, decades later, you know, now 30 years since I, I debuted in San Diego alone, 30 years from that point, everybody's doing some form of sports talk, some right. good, some bad, some that get listeners, some that don't get listeners, some that are on big sticks, some that have no signal. So it's just, it has exploded. I never, ever thought would have 2,100 stations nationwide doing the format that Mike and the Mad Dog pioneered or WFAN in New York or the guys at IP in Philly or what I pioneered at extra 690 never ever thought that would happen but here we are now it's it's really is amazing and the business changed and and you guys were all early and you 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 created it which was amazing because you didn't have a playbook to go by you had of course your background and you talk about your background originally like me i was going to go into print journalism and and be a sports writer be a, a storyteller that way and and you make the switch into radio which to me i can't imagine you not on radio lee because you, you, your voice, number one, and I know you spent time developing that. It's not something that you just do overnight. But your ability to tell a story, your ability to, for me, as a young listener listening to you growing up in San Diego, for me, it was it was you you brought me in. You sucked me in with the drama. It was it was almost like, you know, my, my grandfather listened to the old, he would have me listen to The Shadow, right? The old 40s radio programs. And I felt like I was getting this amazing guy who knew what he was talking about with sports 
because clearly you had been around the block, but also you brought in the drama, the breaking headlines piece of it that really sucked me in. And when you're listening on the radio, you know, you're not watching it. It's not television. So you have to picture in your mind's eye what's going on. And you were so great about that breadcrumbing of leading your listener along. How did you go from, you know, being or thinking about being a print journalist and then learning that art of storytelling via voice, via audio? Well, I was just in in college. I went to Ohio University, which had a great school of communications. And I started out to be a journalist. I liked to write. I could always write. And somehow I sampled radio. And I was really fascinated by it. And I liked doing play-by-play. So that allowed me to start doing some things in the electronic media, high school football, basketball, then baseball, then college football and basketball and baseball. And that evolved into getting the chance to go do hockey. And I had never done hockey before. And I lied to get the job. And they hired me to move to upstate New York. Have you ever done hockey? We have a minor league <laughs> hockey team. We need a voice. And I said, yeah. And I had never done hockey. Uh, <laughs> but I, I spent two weeks crash coursing, teaching myself, listening to games at night to get the language of hockey. Uh, Dan Kelly was one of the greatest play-by-play guys I ever met from St. Louis Blues back in the day. And I used to listen to him do blues hockey on KMOX, and I would take notes, and I would practice. And by the time I got to upstate New York, I I think I was pretty decent at it, and I got accomplished at it, and I wound up going to the World Hockey Association. So it's just a case of right place, right time. You teach yourself. You have knowledge, et cetera. The most intriguing thing was when I I was victimized by the WHA-NHL merger, and Cleveland Mm -hmm. did not get a franchise, and we all lost our job. And I was devastated. And I got hired almost immediately in Phoenix to go to a legendary news talk station, KTAR. And and they had an evening sports talk show, but it was kind of mom and pop sports. Everything was beautiful. And they wanted they wanted something different and something dynamic and something to grab you by the shirt collar every night and put you on the air. And I recall driving across the country from Cleveland when I was moving to Phoenix, trying to figure out how can I do something really different that's never been done before? And then I thought about how you package it. Hacksaw's best 15 minutes in radio. It's the, the hot headlines, the bullet points. Well, how do you make that must-listen radio? And it just dawned on me to come up with some lingo that would attract people to the talk show. I did 6 to 10 p.m. I did four hours every night. did it by myself. We had some play-by-play around it, but it was, it was predominantly me. And I I remember, I think I might have been in Oklahoma on the highway on Interstate 40. And I was trying to, in my mind's eye, come up with some phraseology. And it just dawned on me. Here's what's going on in the world of sports. Here's what Lee Hacksaw Hamilton thinks. Bingo. And then, and, you know, then we put the topic on the table and I have an opinion on the topic on the table. And when we're done with the headlines, I demand you call the talk show so I can hear your opinion of my opinion of the topic on the table. And it just took off like wildfire. And the other, the other fascinating thing is I got to Phoenix in May of 1981. And the week I got there to go to KTAR, and I was all excited. And, they, and, they, and the program director knew about me because he had been in Cleveland when I was in Cleveland. And he had moved on, and he knew about my style and my shtick and my substance and all that. The week I got to Phoenix to debut the talk show, baseball went on strike. <laughs> Think about that. Oh, yeah. That was item one. Item number two, Arizona State's football program in the Pac-10 conference at that time got put on probation. 
and it was huge uproar over that. Item number three, the number one seed in the NBA playoffs, the Phoenix Suns, who own the market, got knocked out in the first round at home. <laughs> so I had all the, I had all these issues as I walked in the front door at, at a great station, KTAR, to talk about. And what happened was with baseball going out, we were the Dodger flagship station in Arizona. We were the, the, the biggest station on their network. And we had no baseball at night. So the listeners in the Valley of the Sun got four straight hours <laughs> of here's what's going on in sports. Here's what Lee Hacksaw Hamilton thinks for 51 nights in a row. Wow. And I went on the, and I went on the air, Scott, the first night. And I attacked baseball. How the hell could you strike? And the first night, I attacked the sacredness <laughs> of Arizona State football. How the hell could you cheat in a market like this with a beautiful facility and all these supporters and boosters? Why would you ever cheat and get thrown in jail? And the third item, Phoenix Suns. What should we think of you now? You just blew your chance to get an NBA championship. And the phones lit up like a Christmas tree, and we were off and running. A bunch of people agreed with me. A bunch of people argued with me. The newspaper columnist, who at that time all had radio TV columnists, wrote about me every day. <laughs> and I was, I was picking fights with everybody just to get response. And that's, yeah. that, that's how it took off. And that's what it became, and that's what attracted national recognition based out of Phoenix. And that attracted the people in San Diego, and I got to San Diego. And the same thing happened because it was really, it was small market. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in the San Diego market, the only sports talk radio was a post-game Padre talk show. And everything was beautiful. And up in L.A., all they had was Dodger talk. And there was hardly anything else around it. And we hit the air, and we were the first ones to do it. And we were doing it on a blowtorch signal. And then success begat success because I was also the voice of the Chargers. So everybody who loved the NFL was coming to our station to listen to the games and then coming to the station Monday through Friday to listen to me. And then success beget success. And we started to hire some other people that became successful. Sure. And we built an iconic station. We were, the, as I said, the third station in the nation to go all-time sports. And we, we had all the ingredients. And, th and this is the thing. I, I, I tell program directors that I talk to and people that are in the format, what you need are multiple things. You need a big stick that people can hear. Secondly, you need to have major league play-by-play -play on your station. Yeah. And then thirdly, you got to have the right talent to make the thing work. And and we had a, a visionary owner, John Lynch, who had all those tenants, and that's how we started, and that's how we got real good. Now, now today, 30 years later, as I said, it's just very different because there's so many people attempting to put sports talk on the air and some local and some importing nothing but the network. And sometimes it works. A bunch of times it does not work, but it's a very, very different landscape now. No, it is. <clears throat> and you talked about, again, we're talking to uh, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, of course, uh, sports talk legend and, and one of my heroes, my broadcast hero. And Lee, I know, you know, you talk about those those beginnings and in, in covering the baseball strike when you get to Phoenix. And of course, yeah, Frank Cush, right, who was the coach at Arizona State at the time um, and all the turmoil around that program. Uh, you had to find things to talk about, which I, I find that parallel right now because I listen to some radio now sports radio in particular with no sports going on because of this whole coronavirus thing. And I see how people are struggling finding 
uh, way to, to fill time. And I, I can't believe it. Cause I thought to myself, boy, I know three or four hours a day is a long time. And now we're talking about, it's been two months, but you have a great opportunity when, when you, to experiment, to do different things and to get noticed in my view, when there's not much going on. So, uh, again, I mean, you obviously understood that at a, at a, at a, at a very early juncture. Now for me doing a radio show that is much more niche, right? I'm only talking mostly about one subject. That's the NFL. And that's about the Raiders since they're coming here as well. Um, for me though, it, it, it's, it's, it's about professionalism. It's about preparation. The one thing that I always appreciate and still do about you is that you never go on the air or write about something that you're not fully prepared to talk about. Um, when you look at the landscape today, and you talked about some of those changes, Lee, that have happened, whether it's the type of programming uh, and where it's coming from. But when you look at folks today, a lot of folks, to, and this is my opinion, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like they just go on and talk. They don't really prepare as much, and it, it comes across as very sloppy. And yeah, that might be okay when you're sitting with Joe at the bar and you're having a beer and talking about a game. But when it comes to professional radio, have you seen that change? It's gotten a lot more casual or, or what's your view on how sports talk has changed today? Well, the historical aspect, when I was on my way to Phoenix and I knew I was going to the Valley of the Sun at a big station, but I also knew what the marketplace was. The marketplace in Phoenix was a melting pot of people from everywhere just like the marketplace that has become San Diego, mm -hmm. melting pot of people from everywhere. So I walked in the front door in Phoenix, and I said, you know what? Anybody can talk about the Suns and the Sun Devils, and we're obviously going to do that because they are the teams in town. But you know what? This is a melting pot. I want to do something that covers sports across the spectrum because there's so many people that have moved to the Valley of the Sun. And I know there's a huge plethora of transplants from Chicago. Mm. So I, I devised a, a format that not only were we talking about the Suns getting knocked out of the playoffs or the firing of Frank Cushion, they were hot-button topics that lit the Christmas tree. But we were going to cover a lot of other things. And I, I evolved into all types of creative things that I did. Tours of the training camp. Uh, I'd get 30 beat writers from each NFL team and would put them on the air. We'd do a three-week tour of the training camp. Now, this is, this is obviously before the Internet and everything else. So I was giving transplanted bear fan insight into all the storylines in Chicago. And the same thing if there was somebody from New England or Miami, whatever. And it really became must-listen radio because there was no place else to get that. Mm. And then I did the same thing in baseball. I did my tour of the Cactus League and the Grapefruit Circuit. And then we did trading deadline shows. And then we did National Letter of Intent college football signing show just got enormous response, A, because there was no other way to gather that type of information. Now, I had to work really hard. I worked <laughs> nine days a week. Yeah. And I, I produced my own show. Right. We did four to five guests a night, different guests. So you, you figure that out. That's 25 different guests a week. And I did all the research and the content and all that and chased all those guys down and did live interviews and taped interviews and, and, and just packaged it. But I, w I was the first on the block to do it. And it takes tremendous dedication to do it. Now, if we fast forward to where we are now, you know, there might be three talk show stations or four talk show stations in Las Vegas trying to do some form of sports talk radio. But if you're only doing a one topic show, you can do that. If you're only doing right. silver and black Raider talk, okay, you can do that. 
But if you want to do Monday through Friday, 6 to 10 p.m. or whatever the day part is, you better be prepared to work really hard because you need more than just the same old, same old. You can only talk about the baseball schedule so often. You can only talk about the Raider draft so often. You've got to really be dynamic. And and when I got to Phoenix, I said, okay, I'm going to go places that nobody has ever gone before. And I started doing segments on old-time baseball players. Uh, this this was just as the beginning of all these teams started to get into these fantasy camps where they mm-hmm. were bringing Brooks Robinson and Al Kaline and Billy Williams of the Cubs, and they'd all come to Arizona and they had these fantasy camps. We'd go get those guys on the air. Uh, I would go get them on the air. And I started doing that. And then I branched out and I said, you know what? Not everybody loves baseball or football. Uh, we'll do a lot of stuff with the NBA. But you know what? There's, there's Canadians that live out here. We started doing hockey stuff. And then I started doing NASCAR stuff, and I did Indy 500 stuff, and then I did Formula One stuff. And what I wanted to do, Scott, was change the pace of the show night by night, change the topics night by night, and just make it a broad-based show to the point that if I got you hooked to listen, you would know my show in Phoenix or in San Diego in those early days would be the only place you could go to get Indy 500 information yes, or Formula One or PGA Tour or LPGA Tour. I mean, right on down the ladder of everything. So we covered all the big stories, but we covered a lot of that second and third tier stuff just to keep it out there in front of the people. So if you wanted to know about the LPGA Tour, hey, he's got this information. I can call him. He'll know about this person, that player, this controversy, et cetera. So that's yeah. That's how I devised it. Well, and it, was, it was an enormous enormous amount of work. And now I look back on it because I've been separated from Sports Talk Radio for a couple of years because I ventured off into television. But I look back at it and I say, damn, how did I accomplish all that? How did, <laughs> how did I do all that? The work was unbelievable. The workload was unbelievable. But I, I enjoyed it because I'm an information hound. Yeah. And I think historically, uh, I think people will write on my tombstone damn, he knew what he was talking about. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and Lee, that's the thing for me listening to your show and, and I see it, I, I, I see it echoed in my own show. Like there's a lot of times that I do or say things um, with full attribution to you because they, they, they were ingrained in my head listening to you as someone who looked up to you as a young guy and saying to myself, you know, that the way you did it, the way you prepared, for example, you're right. Yeah. If you're doing a Monday through Friday drive time show, you have to, you have to be uh, up on everything that's going on. And yes, you, I mean, who in the eighties and nineties was doing women's sports on radio? Nobody, you did, you would do LB, LPGA, you do all these different things about women's sports and about other sports like motorsports before it was the talk of the town. And so I always felt like I was learning from you too, which I, I took forward into my own craft. And now even doing just a Raiders show during the summer, I, I, t- I take your example and it's like, okay, during the summer, what do you do during the summer? Because I remember this is something that I love that you did, which was the book tour. Like, hey, you're, it's summer. You're reading books, right? So, And I know people read them on a Kindle now and they don't go down to the bookstore and get a physical copy anymore. But so for me, just doing a Raiders show where I talk about current things and I talk about uh, players and coaches, you know, to me, that's dry. Everybody's doing it because now if you have a YouTube channel and a computer, you can do it, right? So, so I go out and I interview people 
like Todd Marinovich for an hour and I talk about what's he up to. He's still struggling with this. He's an artist. He's doing that because I want to teach these folks. I want to delve into subjects that I'm interested into in, in as well, but also cover things like talk to Steve Delshon, formerly of ESPN, who wrote the book about John Matuzak, of course, a former Raider who died much too young. So I try to do that. And I really believe, Lee, that the, the, the spark of all that was you because I remember you doing things like that. And maybe my memory's hazy and maybe you had a different way of going about it. But to me, it's entertaining the audience. It's also teaching them and, and saying to them, hey, you know, I listened to that show and I learned something and I heard something I did not hear anywhere else. Well, I think also because of the marketplace. Now, at WFAN in New York, and I, I started the exact same time in San Diego that Mike and the Mad Dog started at WFAN, and they're legendary. Now, that's a much bigger market, right. a much more homogeneous market. All they want to talk about is the Yankees and the Mets and the Knicks and the Rangers and the Giants and the Jets, and I, under, I understand all that. But I was in a different marketplace. The thing that was unique, and, and I've thought about this recently, is with what I accomplished in Phoenix and then San Diego for, I mean, I I did sports talk radio for 28 years in San Diego and seven years in Phoenix. That's 35 years of of being on the air. But the the one thing that I did was I was going places that nobody had ever ventured before. Mm. There was not a phone number in America that I would not call if I could get a guest. Uh, And I, I, and I just through creative ingenuity, I dug up phone numbers for people. Um, Richard Childer, the legendary NASCAR owner. I dug up his home phone number. I called him, asked him if he'd come on this West Coast talk show and talk NASCAR. And this is this was at the point of time where Dale Earnhardt was a hot commodity. And that, that's the way you created an aura by getting access to big names. Now, it's a different time now, and it's much harder now because you've got so many stations doing the same thing, and everybody wants to crack it. At, at the stars, it's really hard. They don't have enough time, and they won't give you enough time to be on all these different stations. But I was Very true. I was one of the first first in line uh, to get it. Um, I spent, I'll give you a prime example, I spent three months getting access to Arthur Ashe. Wow. Uh, Arthur had retired. He was dying of AIDS. I spent three months, went through layers of public relations people, and kept asking and writing and emailing, and nothing ever came of it. And I gave up. I said, well, there's some you just can't get. And I've interviewed a lot of big-name people. And I'm at work one day, one afternoon in San Diego, and the phone rings. And he says, this is Arthur Ashe. I uh, understood that you've been trying to get hold of him. I almost fell over. <laughs> that was three months after the fact. But but because I was the first in line who had never done it, I was getting access to these PGA golfers and LPGA and Olympians and, and hockey players. And nobody had ever done it. Now, obviously, everybody wants to talk to Wayne Gretzky or or whomever. It just it was just a very, very different time and I helped create something that I, I think made us so different from what anybody had ever ever done before. No, there's no doubt about it. I know we just have a little bit of time left with you, Lee. Um, and, and the thing too that, that that I appreciate as I as I age is you have to adapt, right? And you've adapted to new formats. You've embraced digital uh, with your great website and how you participate now and you're out there in social media. If, if someone like me going back 25 years ago, when you're starting out, someone younger, uh, maybe a kid who's in college now, I, I joke with my son telling him not to go into journalism or broadcast, but that's just, you know, because of my jaded uh, age uh, viewpoint, I guess. But if you, if you're talking to people out there with the, the avenues that younger people have now to get into the business and do things like broadcast from their own home on the internet, uh, go out and you can go out and do community 
community college games on your own because you can fit the equipment in a backpack these days. Um, what sort of advice would you give those folks about really taking it seriously, honing a craft and becoming a professional? Well, I, I counsel a lot of young people who want to get into the industry, and I, I may be the exception to the rule. It's, it's a very volatile industry. It's going through a very, very bad time. I mean, I I got bought out twice at the end of my contract in radio, which just absolutely shocked me. And then I went I went across the street and went and did television, and then they folded my whole news department from underneath me mm-hmm. and laid 77 of us off in one day. So, wow. uh, you know, I've, I've seen the other side of the coin as it relates to broadcasting. But I tell people, young people, if, if you're really interested in this, go to a university that's got a really good school of communications. And I don't know whether you think that's Syracuse or you think that's Missouri or Kansas or where I went, Ohio University. But you go to a school of communications that offers a broad-based curriculum. And when you get in there, you sample every type of course they have, whether that's Broadcasting on the air, whether that's behind the scenes, whether that's TV anchoring, whether that's producing and directing, whether it's on the other street corner, journalism, writing, news writing, advertising, design, layout, photography. I mean, there's a lot, there's lots of angles you can take to get a degree. And you never know when you're sampling all these other things, because that's what I wound up doing at, at Ohio University. I think you needed. 82 hours to graduate, of course, credit. I wound up with 130. I was taking everything. <laughs> I, I took everything, Scott, yeah. sample what was out there. I wish I'd taken some more because there's some fascinating creative things that I wish I would have learned more about, uh, you know, video editing, photography, things of that nature. But sample everything on the menu because you may go in the front door like I did thinking, I want to be a sports writer. You may come out the uh, the back door with your degree and saying, hey, I really like photography. I'm going to go do that. You would never have that experience if you hadn't gone to a big place that offered all these different courses and all these different things under the communication umbrella. That's what I tell young people all the time. And then you just see where it goes. I mean, granted, the newspaper industry is in very, very bad shape, but there's a ton of websites to write for and probably money to be made once you get established. And Broadcasting is really staggering right now, but that does not mean it's, it's going to go away. In some form or fashion, there will be broadcasting. And obviously with TV and all the sports networks, I mean, there are opportunities. But I, I tell people that's, that's the best way to get into the industry is to sample everything that's on the menu. Well, that's great advice, and you can't uh, argue with the man giving it because uh, your success has been amazing. And, Lee, I want to thank you for being part of the show today because, for me, you, you really did, and, and, I, and I hope that you understand. There's a, so many, I'm sure there's many of us out there. You did have a, a, just a profound impact on me, not only as someone who listened to you, but as someone who also wanted to get into the business and, and get on the air and talk to people about sports. So I'm excited to see you keep going, and I know I'll keep listening and reading, and I appreciate you being with me today. Well, it's good. Uh, I've enjoyed it a great deal. I'm not done with it. I'm still doing an enormous amount of stuff. I have this huge website that I created, leehacksawhamilton.com. And uh, as I always tell people, if you like my sports talk show, well, this is the written version of my sports talk show. And I do it because it's a labor of love and it, it keeps me active and uh, no, no regrets whatsoever. I, I wish it hadn't ended the way it ended. I wish I was still doing NFL football. You know, I did 17 years of the Chargers and the Seahawks, and all that went away when, when the teams left the stations that were on, and we weren't allowed to go across the street and do the games on a competing station. But uh, I don't think I traded for anything. I wish it had, it wrapped up a little bit differently. But 
that is that is life. But I still enjoy the media, still actively involved in the media. So check my website out, and we'll we'll see where my next my next stop is. And I wish you good luck with what you're exploring. Well, I appreciate that. Of course, that is again LeeHacksawHamilton.com, and I love it, Lee, because you still do your headlines on there. And to me, that that's been a part of my life. I think since what time, what year did you get to San Diego again? Uh, 1987. 1987, yes. Yeah. So I was about uh, 16 years old. And every day of my life since then, uh, Hacksaw's ha- uh, hottest headlines have been part of my life. So again, my friend, I appreciate well, you know that. The, you know what the funny, yeah, it's got the funniest thing is the people you cross paths with who yeah. say things about what, what I did in the past. And I had one of the top executives of the Dodgers organization stop me at the ballpark one day. <laughs> and he'd never met me, but he knew who I was. And he had followed me every day. And he said, I used to sit in the traffic on the 405 trying to get to Dodger Stadium, listening to Hacksaw's headlines at 4 p.m. every day on Extra. <laughs> yes. And, and I, had the, I had the opportunity to do some creative stuff at Sirius XM on the Home Plate Baseball Channel. Yeah. And I'm, I'm down at Petco Park with the Padres a lot. And I got stopped by baseball executives from other teams that said, I know who you are. I listen to you do all these weekend shows on the home plate baseball channel. And I used to pick topics on the table there in baseball and pick fights with the listeners. And it was really cool stuff. So it is, it is fascinating to see who these people are, where they were, when they listened to you, what they thought. Well, your, your impact uh, is huge and it goes coast to coast. And uh, again, that's a testament to your work ethic and your preparation and being a true professional. So Lee, I appreciate it. I know we'll get you back on the radio show real soon to talk football. Thanks again, my friend. Yeah, looking forward to the coverage of the Raiders. Nice to talk to you again, Scott. Take care. All right, take care, Lee. Well, there you have it. The end of our interview with, uh, again, one of my heroes, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. A polarizing guy at times, as I said earlier in the introduction. But, man, I learned so much from listening to him. And I love that I can talk to him now. He's a guest frequently on our radio show on CBS Sports Radio in Las Vegas. And to talk football, just, just love it. And I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, I really just appreciates so much and and what he's meant to how I've tried to be a broadcaster. Although my style, very different elements of Lee, you will hear in all of my shows. And I thank him very, very much for spending the time with me and for spending time with young people too. He does counsel a lot of young people who want to get into broadcasting. And I appreciate that very much. That's going to wrap up our first episode. We hope you've enjoyed this. The concept, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And we're going to have, I think, really great guests that you'll find inspiration and uh, just entertainment from as I talk to them and as they talk about how they impacted my life. Uh, appreciate if you give us a follow in social media as well. You can see everything linked below including our Twitter page. We also have a Facebook page. You can subscribe to this podcast. That is the biggest thing you can do for us. Do it on Apple Podcasts. Give us a positive rating. Uh, Subscribe there. You can also get it on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast, it'll be there eventually. As it's new, it sometimes takes a week or so to get it all out there, but you'll find it. You can always find it on our website as well, uh, which is catchingupwithheroes.com. For the entire staff here and everyone who helps me, again, a big hearty thank you to Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, one of my heroes, and appreciate uh, his time and talking with us through his story. Until next time, we appreciate it. And remember, there are heroes everywhere. Make sure you show appreciation. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Catching Up With Heroes. Until next time, heroes are all around us. Be sure to stop and appreciate them.
Hey everyone, this is Sharon Waxman. I'm the founder and the editor-in-chief of The Wrap, the premier news source for daily coverage of the entertainment industry. I'm also your host of this new podcast, The Wrap Up, a show that gives you an insider's look at the top stories in Hollywood. Each week, we'll bring you the latest news on the business of movies, TV, streaming, and tech. So be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you each week on The Wrap Up.